0: Log Talk Radio. evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 595th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at beyondthe 90substackcom as well as Red Bull News Network, but as always, this show is based on American soccer. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I try to answer to the best of my abilities as the chat room is open. Um, first things first, I want to wish um, my happiness that ESPN football analyst Shaka Hislop of ESPN FC uh, – He survived his scare uh, during the broadcast uh, of the uh, international friendly that was being held here in the States, I believe between – I forget who it was uh, that he was uh, broadcasting on there for with uh, Dan Thomas. Very scary what happened to him with his uh, heart, and I'm just very happy that uh, he survived it, and obviously it's about what the doctors will tell him next. But let me just say I am happy and thrilled that Shaka Hislop is still with us today and uh, I hope to have him on my show we can talk to him and uh, see what happens um you know down the road once he is medically cleared to return to duties with ESPN on ESPN uh, FC through the ESPN Plus app so uh, hopefully you know everything will be right as rain with him But now it's time to talk about What we have now seen once again, what has happened here on our shores and once again in our nation's capital. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, racism has once again come back to Major League Soccer and in the north zone of CONCACAF through the League's Cup on an argument between Atlas during a VAR review that did not go their way. And what did they do? Well, they cited the Nazis and Hitler. And of course, they apologized after a couple of days because they never removed the tweet until they, after they apologized, they did remove the tweet. Now, I can, you know, me as a Jewish American whose grandmother survived the Holocaust, I can point my finger right at Atlas and claim them to be a racist and anti-Semitic club. I can easily do that. I could easily snap my fingers. I can turn on my valve and I can let them have it. But eventually they've done the right thing. Even though it took them a couple of days to do it, they eventually apologized and did the right thing. And so I will not sharpen my finger of blame and point right at them. I will give them a fair chance, a fair chance of redeeming themselves. And hope that never happens again. Just as I have said about Dante Van Zier with his moment in the spotlight of his racist, I wouldn't call it a rant, maybe a frustration because of a call by the referee. I too have given him an opportunity to make up for that situation. And so far, he is going to work. But now we go back to our nation's capital, to D.C. United. And now, the sad news of Taxi Fountas. Both men... Involved in a fight between themselves because Mr. Fountas has decided to throw, and at the moment it's still speculation, but he threw apparently a racist slur at his teammate in Nigel Roberta. That was reported by Pablo Mauer of The Athletic. I have the immediate release from Major League Soccer Communications about this situation. And in the communications from Major League Soccer, DC United players, Taxi Fountas, and Nigel Roberta have been placed on paid administrative leave while MLS investigates possible violations of league policy. DC United promptly reported the matter to the league office, at which point MLS began to gather all available information. The players will be unavailable for team activities during the pendency of that review. Placement on paid administrative leave is not a disciplinary measure. And and this was on July the 21st. And this came yesterday on Monday, July the 24th from Major League Soccer Communications. Major League Soccer announced that D.C. United forward Nigel Robertha may participate in team activities immediately. Uh-huh. On July 21st, MLS placed Roberta and D.C. United teammate Taxi Fountas on paid administrative leave while the league investigated possible violations of MLS policy. Placement on paid administrative leave is not a disciplinary action and is an interim measure for certain serious matters until the league completes its review. Fountas remains on paid administrative leave, which means the possibility that Mr. Fountas has done it again, and we will not hear everything until MLS and DC United informs us if the findings, when they are completed, if Mr. Fountas has done it again. I understand everyone's belief in automatic justice. I understand everyone's belief of, you've said it once, you're gone. No, they must learn from their actions, And they at least deserve a second chance, at least, because you would like to think they know what not to do, and therefore they will learn from this, they will put it in their computer banks in their brain, and they will never ever do this again. Well, unfortunately, there's a microchip that's faulty in the brain of Mr. Taxi Fountas because at the moment, it sounds like he's done it again. That wonderful phrase that keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And right now, it's twice. And as I have said, many times and even writing about this at Red Bull News Network uh, talking about the situation with Dante Von Zier he has to learn from that and he has to know never to do it again but if he does it for the second time he's out then the rebels have to let him go this is the second time in two consecutive seasons That Taxi Fountas has had suspicion of racist rhetoric, this time to a teammate, this time to a player on his own club. And when the findings have been found, And when MLS and DC United are done with their investigation, we cannot get to three strikes and you're out. It's time for MLS and for DC United to inform Mr. Fountas and his agent, we're going to cut you loose. And if you want to go back to Europe, we will help you transfer to Europe so that you can go to a club that will want your services. Once again, racism is still alive in this world, no matter what. But the majority of it does come from Europe. Not every European from every European country is like this. You must weed out the bad to stay with the good to make sure this never, ever happens again. It's very simple. The understanding is simple. DC United should now, and to be fair and to be honest, if the findings are true in the investigation, they should transfer him out. And even if it's not true, I don't know how much longer he's going to survive this, because you're going to see a walkout of the Screaming Eagles and the Barra Brava end at Audi Field. You could see fans not attending DC United matches at Audi Field because he's still on the club. This is a very, very difficult situation, and a difficult situation that I pray to God we never, ever get in front of again. For Deep United, this is the second time. For the league itself, this is the third time. We all know what goes on internationally when Mexico is playing in the U S and when things are not going well for them, what do the fans do? They throw out the racist homophobic chant during goal kicks because they know they can affect the match when their team is stinking up the joint. It's really simple. Ladies and gentlemen, it's really simple. We are all united in this. We all believe in this. I don't believe in one and done. I need to see if the player or the person has learned from his situation. We must make sure they learn from their situation when they pull this off. And if they've done it again for the second time, you don't get to strike three. He didn't learn the first time. What makes you think he's going to learn if he gets acquitted the second time? He has to go. He has to leave. Because one thing is for sure, if he is found not guilty of this, it's going to be a cloud of negativity around him and expect a walkout from the Screaming Eagles and the Barra Brava. And that's not going to be good. As I've said already, you fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, shame on me. This cannot continue. The culture in Europe has to change. I think it's changing for the better, but unfortunately, there are still pockets of it around. Must end now. And I hope it does. Cannot allow this to happen again. Cannot allow this to continue on. Or else we're going to have big problems on our hands. And it's just going to be not good at all. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's show, we are going to honor... The two USL, uh, excuse me, the two USL Championship clubs that went all the way to the quarterfinals of the 2023 U.S. Open Cup, and I am happy to have on tonight for my first guest, the editor and senior writer of Pittsburgh Soccer Now, John Krasinski. John, welcome to the show. As uh, your Pittsburgh Riverhounds made a hell of a run in this year's Open Cup Tournament.
1: Hey, Daniel. Yeah, it, it was quite a run. Uh, I think they're still reaping the benefits from it. And, yeah, I'd love to talk about it still. I think it's uh, something that will definitely have some long-lasting effects positively for this franchise uh, this season, for sure.
0: Oh, Obviously, Bob Lilly is a legend in the USL uh, club seasons he's done wonderful things for rochester rhinos and then of course he comes over to you the Riverhounds, after the rhinos if we're going on hiatus at that particular time and what a job he has done for them league play wise first place currently in the eastern conference and uh, a sellout almost every single night at highmark stadium along the mongahalia Uh, I think we uh, might have lost John there for a moment. Hopefully, we'll have him back uh, as we await.
1: Oh, there he is. Good. Okay. Go ahead. The Manga Hill. Yeah. The Mon. We, we like to call it the Mon here in Pittsburgh.
0: <laughs> you got it.
1: Yeah. That, uh, obviously, I'm plugging my book as well, Miracle on the Mon, which refers to a specific amazing comeback. Uh, win the Hounds had, but uh, anyway, the book just kind of dives deeper into the Hounds' uh, history and things like that. But, but yeah, no, on the Monongahela, Bob Lilly has done a, a remarkable job. You know, it's five years now in, in the making, plus, and this, you know, I, I think a lot of things have come into uh, kind of come together with this group. And it was interesting, a playoff loss last year and a team that had a lot of veteran players, uh, it, you know, it, Alex Dixon, uh, you know, uh, Russell Cicerone, uh, Dane Kelly, the USL Championship's all-time leading scorer, uh, were all part of last year's roster. And I think especially Dixon, Cicerone, we, we still see how good they are uh, with Sacramento this year. But, you know, Dane Kelly was a huge disappointment. Uh, fell off the face of the earth halfway through the last season. There were other veterans, too. And I think one of the things that Bob decided to do this year was go – get build a younger squad, and maybe even by younger, for him, maybe more coachable as well. You know, I mean, basically, you know, to play for Bob Lilly, you want to have guys that are going to buy into that system and buy into what he wants accomplished. And what he's done a remarkable job is, other than the fact that Kenardo Forbes is 35 years old, I believe, there's not a single player over the age of 28. There's really only other two other players over the age of 26. Uh, so he, the nucleus of this club is relatively young, somewhere in that 23 to 26 year old age group. And I think they, he's got that a lot of talent there and he, they've all bought in, but it's also a deeper squad and he's been able to use, you know, a heavy rotation. And so, you know this, in the U.S. Open Cup, how important was that rotation going into um, playing midweek matches and staying in, you know, it, very high up in the table in terms of the league throughout that whole process? And now they're they well, going into last weekend's match. They were four points clear in the Eastern Conference. Um, now I they think they're two points clear ahead of Charleston, who beat them. It was their first loss since April. So it, you know, it finally took, a road match in Charleston in the heat to slow down the the, the River Hounds' impressive run.
0: No, that's amazing. No, that's and amazing. Uh, once, yeah, what, uh, you can, what can you say about Bob Lilly? Uh, such a fantastic tactician over there. And I've said this many times, you know, if Major League Soccer wasn't around, and if USL Championship was the Division One league, and someone would ask me, you know, who would I pick? To uh, be a, the men's national team head coach for U.S. Soccer, I would have picked Bob Lilly, or at the time when Harrisburg was in the league, Bill Betcher. Uh, I would have picked him. One of those two would be my picks if there was no Major League Soccer uh, coaching uh, in uh, that first division. If U.S. Open Championship, of course, it was first division, of course. But let's go ahead and uh, recap uh, the Riverhounds' run. Now, unfortunately, you couldn't play your second-round match due to. Rochester, New York, gets just forfeit yeah. because, uh, once again, they lost uh, funding, and uh, their uh, their so-called uh, part uh, owner, Jamie Vardy, quit on the Dworkins, and the Dworkins were forced to shut down, unfortunately. They couldn't get a partner to really uh, keep the club go- going in Rochester, and that's a shame. But uh, a 2-0 win at home over Maryland Bobcats, and that was a pretty strong effort from uh, the Riverhounds there.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things Bob talked about, how important it was, actually how disappointed he was that they they didn't get a chance to play that Rochester match because the fact is they needed those guys that, that developed confidence and really started to contribute during the Open Cup run up to that point, hadn't really played that much. So, so that was important uh, to get them into a game like that, and he couldn't do that. So that's why that Maryland Bobcats win, that 2 nothing win. Um, we saw a few players like Burke Falling get in, uh, get you know, a, a bunch of others get starts for the first time. Tola Shonmi is another player who you know, needed some time to develop with the team. He's only 23 years old. Uh, and had you know those open cup matches were so important for those guys to develop. I mean, it was interesting the hounds, and I think we talked about this, is that they were able to go deep into their roster even against once they progressed into the open cup, uh, because they had no choice. They had to play. You know, they they were playing league matches in the middle of the, you know during the weekend. They were they. Baptism by fire for a lot of those players, and, and, and it worked out. But the but the Maryland game was key because it gave them finally gave them an opportunity for some of the second line guys to get more playing time. And as I said, I already mentioned Burke Balling, uh, who was really key instrumental in the Maryland game, uh, played in an attacking midfield position. In that game, it had shown me at the top of the line, it was the first time that Albert Dequa, who was leading the league in scoring, uh, goal scoring, had didn't start a match for the Hounds. So there's, it was a, Bob was able to go deeper to his bench and give those guys confidence. So then the next game out, when they had to play against a major league soccer opponent against New England. Those guys had a, a, a lot more reps, a lot more playing, were uh, more comfortable playing with the other guys and, and with each other in, you know, intense competitive situation. So it really it, that was that match, that two to nothing win was huge, was really big for the hounds.
0: It really was, and what a win on the road, especially over at Gillette Stadium. A 44th-minute goal by Danny Griffin to surprise the Revolution and their supporters, and just a hard-fought, bunker-in, defensive mode by the Riverhounds to secure the victory and to move on into the next round. That had to be probably the biggest at the moment, the biggest win in the club's history during the Open Cup competition.
1: Yeah, I think you could you could say that because they'd never beat an MLS team on the road, for one. And it was a master class in Bob Lilly's ex- game plan. It was executed very well. And, of course, it helped to get that break. Uh, it helped that New England was a little sluggish that night. Uh, there was, you know, Josie Alvador started and, you know, about a few weeks later, he wasn't even on that team. You know, he, I think his time had, had come. But there, but it was still against. They still New England still put some pretty good players out there, and the Hounds kind of took it to them. You know, they, at no point in the match did I ever feel like the Hounds were overwhelmed or uh, were overmatched by by an MLS club. And as that match wore on, they they you know they built the and grew in confidence. And it was, it was, you know, obviously Danny Griffin caught a, a little bit of a break there, but he was opportunistic, got to the ball, um, beat both defenders. It was a brilliant ball by Marky Barra to get the ball to Danny Griffin. Uh, and, you know, again, they, they were opportunistic. And Bob Lilly team hasn't given up many goals when they get the lead this year. So that was huge going into the half. Uh, to be able to do that uh, and get that, that that goal before the half.
0: It really was. And, uh, of course, then you uh, get drawn at home against the Columbus crew, and Albert Dickwa gets that big goal in the 22nd minute. And once again, just another solid defensive effort by the Riverhounds at home at Highmark Stadium. I mean, sold out from the first row all the way to the last. Look, you've been to Highmark Stadium so many times. I've only watched it a couple of times through ESPN Plus's coverage or ESPN, uh, ESPN's coverage of the USL Championship League. But to see that crowd, to hear that crowd and the excitement and the craziness and the celebrations that were going on, not just for the goal, but towards the, towards the end of second half stoppage time, when the referee blew his final whistle and everyone in Pittsburgh to me signaled you're officially a soccer town now after that victory.
1: Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's, I I like the way you you described that and built that up. And of course a lot was written about it, you know, that night and after and, and you you point out that, oh, yeah, it was kind of the coming of Pittsburgh can be a, a soccer town And one of our um, writers for Pittsburgh Soccer Now, Dominic Campbell, i got to give him credit because he's the one that wrote the piece, said it, it was very straightforward. And the headline was, Pittsburgh does not need MLS. <laughs> and I thought it was just so fitting. And it, for a younger uh, writer, someone in his 20s who grew up in Pittsburgh with basically knowing the Riverhounds his whole life were part of. This, his sports landscape, yeah. While they were, they were, you know, obviously stri- striving, struggling for relevance, to 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 write something like that from that perspective. Um, and, and the point being that, you know, for years, every time the Riverhounds would do something like, oh, Highmark Stadium was built, or they would play an Open Cup match against an MLS team, the only thing the local sports media would would gravitate to would be talk about oh well you know what do you think the riverhounds could become an mls club and it's to me we i got we a lot of us that covered the team closely we got sick and tired basically of that that uh storyline or that that conversation and so to to have success at the level that they're at, I think, was always the most important thing. Um, to build a successful winning culture at the USL championship level and then to be able to say, you know what, we can, we, we have a squad that can compete and can knock off MLS teams in this format. Um, I think it was so satisfying to so many people in Pittsburgh who've been around the soccer scene and have watched, the club built incrementally. It wasn't the FC Cincinnati. It wasn't the Nashville. It wasn't a hundred million dollars investment. It was, you know, one of our own, a, a local, um, construction owner, basically owns the cl- a construction company owner owns the club. You know, he has enough resources. He's put just enough money in to save soccer in Pittsburgh because there was a bankruptcy uh, situation in the mid-2010s, right after Highmark Stadium was built. So that that satisfaction that even with incremental growth and, you know, some bumps along the way with the bank bankruptcy and then, you know, the having to bring Bob Lilly in 2018 when things still weren't going that great, you know, that, but now to get to that point where they have this winning culture and they finally, after all those years, finally I had a chance to host a, a game against an MLS opponent. I think it all came together, and it was a very special moment. I think that uh, Pittsburgh soccer fans and Pittsburgh fans in general, I think, really have grown and to appreciate that. And now, like you said, all those sellout crowds, Like it, the momentum has continued into the middle of the summer.
0: Unfortunately, Edward Chiesa got sent off. I, I thought it was a dubious red card anyway. I didn't think it was that <laughs> much of a red card, but – unfortunately what are you going to do the referee saw it differently and he pulls out the card and then of course the quarterfinals uh Albert Dickwa unfortunately early in the first half uh an injury from behind he got fouled hard by Noah Bodo, and unfortunately on lower back i think around the shoulder blades and he just he just couldn't continue unfortunately and uh no goals in the first half until unfortunately the, all the goals came in the second half and Cincinnati took you down Three one. I know um, the only goal of that match came in second half stoppage time by Tola. Shawonmi, me, and uh, that ends the run. But even though Pittsburgh uh, sadly gets eliminated in the in the quarterfinals, John, uh, you're now a, the Riverhounds are now a part of Open Cup lore of the first they've gone uh, along with Birmingham Legion. But you, you know, the Riverhounds wins the $25,000 prize as the furthest second division team to go deep in the Open Cup because you defeated two MLS sides and Birmingham only defeated one.
1: Okay, yeah, I was, I, you know what, I hadn't uh, given that much thought and I was wondering what, what uh, which team got the 20? I knew they got the 25, but I didn't know that, that what separated them. But of course, yeah, that extra MLS win is is stuff of legend. Of course, I think that the uh, people here will be will, will love, you know, will be very proud of. And you know, I think they they want to emulate that every possible year. The thing is, they had to they had to do it by still playing two of those three MLS matches on the road. Um, so the luck of the draw still. I mean, they finally got the Columbus match. But it would have been nice to see. Uh, maybe next year the first MLS match gets they get a you know drawn to, to play at home. Um, but it's all luck of the draw. I mean, you know. It's a, it, but you no, know, they've taken they've made the most of it. They 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 finally got an opportunity, and built upon it. And 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 it is, it has. You know, I know Sacramento last year wasn't. They were really good, but they weren't as good in league play. You know, they didn't quite match that run uh, in the U.S. Open Cup in the league, and I think Bob Lilly is very concerned about that, was very concerned about that, um, but obviously the Hounds responded. As soon as they lost that match to Cincinnati, you know, they, they had a first-place showdown with Charleston at home and responded and won 2 nothing. and since then, pretty much have gotten themselves into really good position in this on the table, but... Now the question is, you know, we're excited here in Pittsburgh. By the way, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but we're the diehard soccer people here in Pittsburgh are really excited because one of our, uh, NPSL, our NPSL squad uh, made it to the quarterfinals this weekend, Steel City FC, and so they, uh, you know, all for all intents and purposes, should be in the proper tournament uh, next year. And, you know, that's exciting because that, that gives us two – teams uh, locally uh, for Pittsburgh soccer fans to pay attention to in the open cup. And, and who knows if everything goes the way um, it could, we could see a Riverhound steel city FC matchup, which again on the steel city FC side, uh, some of those guys would absolutely love it. Um, and would, I think that's something they're, they're hoping for. Um, but, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it is something to get excited about.
0: It really is, and, you know, that's going to be a fun one, obviously. It's too bad they couldn't uh, continue on into the uh, national championship uh, for uh, the MPSL uh, final, but still, though, uh, that should be interesting to see if uh, – I wouldn't be surprised. Steel City and uh, the Riverhounds get uh, drawn together in the second round. We'll see what happens, but it should be exciting, and it should be a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, John, uh, it should be a fun uh, finish for this current season, for the Riverhounds,
1: shouldn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, I, you know, they finally hit hit a bump in the road uh, this past weekend, but you know, tomorrow night they got to play in the eleven, and they have they have um, Memphis at home, two home games. They still have a lot of home games this summer, so they're taking advantage of that. They have not lost at home, and like you said, the crowds have been great, so they're trying to take advantage of that. It, it really will mean a lot. To this franchise and to the fans if they could get this home playoff, you know, much like they did with the Open Cup, but get on a run in the playoffs because they really haven't done that. They've gotten a the second round twice in Bob Lilly's tenure, and that's it. And considering Bob Lilly's accomplishments as a coach in his entire career, I think not, you know, getting further at the USL Championship postseason and the USL Cup uh, playoffs, I think that's something that they really want to do. Uh, I saw Bob day or two after that loss last year to Louisville in extra time and penalty kicks. And, you know, they it stung really much, really stung with him and with all these players that are, you know, kind of back with this team, you know, the Robbie Mertzes, the Danny Griffins, the Albert Dequas, You know, they remember that last year. And I, I think they're very determined. They're a determined group. And I, they want that pit finished on top of the table because that'll assure them of playing all their matches at Highmark Stadium. And honestly, I just wrote a column about this. Even though Charleston beat Pittsburgh the other day, and I think they, they're they a good team, a very well-coached team, I, I think if the USL Championship, the Eastern Conference playoffs go through Pittsburgh, I think it'll be very difficult for a lot of the other teams to, to come away with anything. And I, I think that that's going to be what they're striving and shooting for. I think that's something that this season is far from over. The Open Cup run is just, I think, was just a building block.
0: I agree with you there. John, listen, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Hope to have you, on back, uh, have you back on again soon. And uh, have a good night. And just remember these great memories, John. Hopefully you'll, they'll repeat it in 2024.
1: Absolutely. All right, Dan, Daniel, thanks for having me.
0: All right, thank you for being on. John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now, talking about that big run for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in the U.S. Open Cup. And now it's time for a um, recorded audio interview with Kayler Hodges, the host of the Hammering Down podcast, talking about Birmingham Legion's run in the U.S. Open Cup as well. And take a listen right now. Daniel Feuerstein here. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show. As we are reviewing... The big moment where two members of USO Championship had a great run in the 2023 US Open Cup. It's time to talk about the Birmingham Legion and why not with Hammering Down podcast host, Kaler Hodges. Kaylor, welcome back to the show and it's great to have you on.
2: Hey, you know, it feels like you and I are talking almost uh, every other day, and you know, it's always been a blast every single time. So, hey, if we can make another run like this more often, that'd be great.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I hope to have you back on more times as, as much as I can. Um, you know, Birmingham Legion making big strides here in this Open Cup uh, run that they had in 2023, and on the last show, on the, on the last show I've had you on. We talked about Dominique Wilkins uh, now being a part of the ownership group of Birmingham Legion. And as much as we talk about this great run, I guess my question is just do you feel that run by Birmingham Legion really brought Dominique Wilkins, a former NBA superstar, the Atlanta Hawks, a Hall of Famer in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Did that, do you believe, lead him to become part of the ownership group of this club?
2: So, I had, when I went to the press conference, I, when Dominique was announced, they asked him that very question, like, was it a part of this U.S. Open Cup run that brought him in? And he said, sort of. His response was, that really the U.S. Open Cup run was a symptom of why he joined. He said that he wanted to be a part of a winning organization. He wanted to bring a winning soccer club to Birmingham and be a part of a winning soccer club. And really he said that the U.S. Open Cup was really just proof not to himself, but really to his colleagues of why he's getting involved with the club itself.
0: That's awesome to hear, and that's wonderful to hear about that. You know, there's always magic in the Open Cup. Obviously, it stinks when you get eliminated from it, but obviously, when you're on a big winning streak, uh, there's plenty of magic in that ball, especially in that field when you're taking on these clubs, either from your same league or from the higher or lower league, and we're going to get into this right off the bat. And, um, you know, often running in the second round, it was a 4-1 victory against Chattanooga Red Wolves. And, you know, to me, that's a slaughter, an absolute slaughter of a match that Legion were able to get a nice, solid victory to start their run.
2: Yeah, so with that matchup... It was really interesting to watch it because I know Chad Chattanooga from last year was a really good team, but a lot of their roster have been kind of gutted. Um, but the way that they play really lended itself to Legion's And the way Chattanooga likes to play, or Chattanooga Rebels likes to play, is very possession-based. And so the moment I saw that, I was like, well, this Legion team's going to, you know, run rampant. And it did not start off very well. It took uh, an extra time in the first half for Legion to get on the scoreboard, uh, thanks to Juan Aguidelo. And after that, in that second half it led to three goals that were just absolute beauts, and it needs to be said the so the lone goal from the Red Wolf was beautiful lombardi hit a full uh, full volley from a corner from about 25 yards out and if it would have been recorded um because that was one of the few matches that weren't streamed it would have been goal of the it would have been the goal of the uh tournament i fully believe it was even better than barry all's goal uh from the cincinnati uh pittsburgh match
0: Absolutely, and uh, hopefully we will uh, get more of that next year. Now it looks like CBS is being involved in the Open Cup right now. Uh, of, co- of course, it's the Chattanooga Double. You took on Chattanooga FC from Nyssa. Uh, that one was really damn good. One, one yeah. through uh, regulation and extra time, and then you go into penalties, and uh, Legion defeats Chattanooga FC in regulation time in the penalty kick shootout, 4-3. That had to be a real, real uh, barn burner there for you guys.
2: Yeah, that match was – I mean, it was incredible. Prosper Kasim, uh had a beautiful goal from outside the box, um, which uh, was his first goal of the tournament and his first goal of the season. And it was an absolute beaut. And from there, I mean, Chattanooga's defense is for real – And Jean-Antoine, for them in between the sticks, was having an incredible match. There were so many saves that he made. Um, And there was a while, especially in extra time, where it felt like maybe Chattanooga could run away and get one. Legion just could not beat Jean-Antoine. But the moment it hit penalty kicks, I think every Legion fan knew that we were going to walk away victors, which you don't hear a whole lot of in any kind of penalty kicks. But Trevor Spangenberg, uh, the keeper during majority of that run, it's just a penalty specialist, and there was no question that he was going to walk away victorious and pull this team to victory.
0: You know, Juan Agudelo, um, obviously I know him well, Red Bull Academy prospect, uh, had potential uh, to be on the national team, scored a great goal against Argentina at one time in a 1-1 draw uh, when he was coming up through the system here. Uh, but he scores three goals in this one in this tournament, but he doesn't score in that penalty kick shootout against Chattanooga FC. That's a little, that's a little hard to swallow, isn't it?
2: Um, unfortunately for one, he's kind of been taken off the penalty duties um, because, he, I mean, he had not a great record last year during the league. And then in this match, he missed the kick, but they deemed that Jean-Antoine came off his line. And so Juan had a second opportunity to take it, and it got saved again. Two penalties saves in a row, I mean, for the price of one, really. And it was really disappointing to see Juan not just lace one. But, you know, he's made it this far in his professional career. He doesn't need me to tell him how to kick a ball, I guess.
0: No absolutely not. no, he knows what to do out there uh fourth round you're taking on memphis nine o one f c and I mean that's no contest right there. You defeat them three they, you defeat them three goals uh to nil and then you're off into the fifth round to take on your first m l s opponent in charlotte f c That was a hell of a match there
2: yeah, I mean it was at that point the biggest crowd uh in a Professional club match in Birmingham history, and it's the farthest that a team from Alabama had ever made it in the u s Open Cup uh, was to get to that point and you know it was kind of a chippy match. it felt like Legion were not really holding on. It felt like they were really in the match, but it felt like it could go either way. then Tower Pasture gets a little twinkle toes and gets the second yellow. Uh, Charlotte goes down a man and it felt like it was all legion from there. And the club legend that is Prosper Cassim, it everybody said who else could it be? Because he scored the first ever goal in Birmingham Legion history and of course he was going to be the one to score the first ever goal against an MLS club. Seeing him leather one and just put it into the bottom left corner. I mean Experiencing Protective Stadium like there was that night, I had never seen anything like it. That moment was pure euphoria for most Birmingham Legion fans. And who else could it be besides Prosper Kassim?
0: Exactly. And then, of course, that big quarterfinal matchup before he arrived. Lionel Messi, not with the club at that time, but unfortunately falling to Inter-Miami 1-0 at Protective Stadium in downtown Birmingham. You know, I think we can both agree, uh, you know, officiating was not that great that night. Uh, we can definitely agree that Birmingham deserved a penalty in that match. Afterwards, we don't know anything that was going to happen, but at least a penalty kick attempt should have been given to Birmingham Legion in that match.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was one of those situations where it's a handball in the box, you're looking at either a yellow or a red in that kind of situation, plus a penalty. And, you know, penalties are no gift me. Legion fans have seen plenty of penalties missed. That's kind of been an issue of the club's past is that they don't have a bona fide uh, penalty taker. But I think a lot of Legion fans, they just feel like they had the opportunity taken away from them. And as the match went on and only one yellow card being given the entire match, and it was to a Legion player and not enter Miami, I think a lot of Legion fans felt very hard done by. And everything about it was just, it felt like a nightmare in some way, but also giving the fans a common enemy was almost more fun than, than scoring goals at times because, I mean, as loud as the stadium got when Prosper scored against uh, Charlotte. I think it got twice as loud just to hear them boo the ref or whichever Inter Miami player decided to lay down.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that was the best attended match uh, so far this season for Birmingham Legion. But what was that like to know that your match was being broadcasted on CBS Sports' Galazzo Network uh, online, uh, you know, through Pluto TV and, of course, through their Paramount Plus app?
2: I mean,. Kind of surreal, um, to be completely honest with you. As someone who's been covering and following the club uh, since they were in the NPSL um, back when they were still the Hammers, to see it go from maybe having a live stream, you know, if if we were going to a really fancy stadium, to have it being streamed internationally and seeing just what all – kinds of people were able to watch the match and having Legion become kind of an international name, especially with a team that they were playing in the news that came out that day. It was It was surreal. Everything about it was surreal. Seeing it grow from 500 people to 18,000 and plus more on TV and you know CBS and whatnot. It was just. It's still surreal. I'm still awestruck by everything about it.
0: No, absolutely, and I don't blame you at all. It's a wonderful story to talk about. As I've already said, Juan Agudelo scoring three goals in this tournament. uh, Promise, Cassine. With two goals, one both being uh, well, one being a match winner against Charlotte FC, you know, tough to see you know one of your own getting double yellowed in the 56th minute in that second round match against um, Chattanooga Red Wolves, and I believe that was Grayson Dupont. What happened yep. on that play?
2: So the double yellow from uh, Grayson Dupont, um, Birmingham native. He he doesn't get a whole lot of playing time, but he definitely was getting under the skin of everybody. The first goal or the first uh, yellow card came from, I think it was the descent call, Um, maybe it was just a hard tackle, and he had been getting under the skin of everybody. He had been going in hard and late on every single tackle, and eventually the ref said, "Uh, you're not, uh, you know, this has gone too far, and he gave him his first yellow. In the second half, he gets hacked down pretty hard. He, I mean, he gets tripped up and he goes down, and the ref deemed it as him flopping and sent him off for the second yellow for what he deemed to be embellishment. Um, really, I think it was just more of a culmination of lots of frustration from not only just the other players, but just the ref himself. And I think he was kind of looking to call him for something. And the only thing he could, get him, could ding him on was embellishment. So that's where the second yellow came from.
0: Mm, that's really a tough one to swallow, believe me. Sometimes you just wonder what the ref is seeing because you see it differently than he does, that's for sure. Um, what does this say now when you talk about this club, not just so much in USL championship circles, but when you're talking about now the 2024 Open Cup for next year, what do you think is going to be the message for next year? We can go further than this. We are now uh, you know, are putting, so to speak, their hammer down on this tournament for next year.
2: You know, I think really what it does is it sets a standard for fans in Birmingham, and it also sets a standard for the club. The standard for the club before was never making it past the third round. Until this year, they had never made it past the third round, and now it has become a fan expectation. and. Sometimes, if not most of the time, what can really motivate a club is fan expectations and not letting down the fans. And while it's not going to be expected for Legion to beat an MLS team every single year, I think what this does is it gives Legion fans hope. That it can happen every single year. And they can sell that to new fans. People who have never made it out to a Birmingham Legion match before say, hey, come out as we are taking on another MLS team. We can beat them. We've done it before. And I think that's really all you have to have to sell new fans on a dream.
0: Kayler Hodges, Hammering Down Podcast covering the Birmingham Legion of USL Championship. Kaylor, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with the rest of the season in USL Championship, and hope to talk to you again soon.
2: Appreciate you having me,
0: man. Once again, Kaylor Hodges from Hammering Down Podcast covering the Birmingham Legion talking about their big run in the 2023 Open Cup, and uh, we'll see what happens in the Open Cup next year. Very soon, we're going to have the Open Cup semifinals after Leagues Cup and those matches excuse me will be on live on CBS Sports Galazzo Network as well as the Paramount Plus app available as we get ready for these big semifinal matchups. And here is the final four on Wednesday, August the twenty-third at seven 7- o'clock clock eastern time at the TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio, FC Cincinnati will be hosting Inter Miami and at 9:30 eastern, 7:30 mountain, Houston or 8 p 8:30 central as well. Houston Dynamo hosting Real Salt Lake at Shell Energy Stadium. That is going to be exciting and of course we'll find out where the final will be either Miami, Cincinnati, Houston, Salt Lake, we'll find out. I know the area had the draw, but we're going to worry about that on August the 23rd. Once again, broadcasted by CBS Sports on their Golazo network, which is free on the Pluto TV website or the Pluto TV app, or you can go to the Paramount Plus app or the Paramount Plus website to watch the matches as well. And CBS Sports... Already, since their inclusion in the third round this year of the Open Cup, has been an amazing broadcast partner for the U.S. Open Cup. And they are now taking over both the semifinals and the final of the oldest Open Cup championship in North America. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I cannot wait to see what will happen there. So get ready for that. Now, normally, I would report about the Red Bulls. Uh, Obviously, Leagues Cup is going on. Um, Unfortunately, um, I will not be bothering with Leagues Cup at all. Uh, You have heard my beliefs. I think this is a cash grab. They forced CONCACAF to give Leagues Cup three extra spots – which I felt should have gone to a Canadian championship winner, open uh, excuse me, Canadian Canadian championship runner-up, Open Cup runner-up, and the winner of the Copa Mexico. It should never have come to this League's Cup fallacy. So I will not be giving any League's Cup um, coverage for this show. I'm sorry to say it, but the truth is, as I've said already, this is a false plastic because most of these games, the majority of these games will be in the United States and Canada. Not going to be any in Mexico. What are you going to do? This is what Don Garber wanted. He got it, forced it on all of us, and unfortunately, it's going on. Other than that, don't forget to join me tomorrow night, 11 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Pacific, as Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk and I will be giving you the FIFA World, excuse me, the FIFA Women's World Cup post-game show between the U.S. Women's National Team and the Netherlands. It should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting. I cannot wait. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now and Taylor Hodges in the recorded interview from Hammering Down Podcast on the Birmingham Legion. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long and bye-bye for now.